Hi, I'm Dubba. I'm the director of Music Tech Fest, and this is the MTF Podcast. Now, it's evolved a lot over the years. We've introduced labs, the MTF Research Symposium, MTF Sparks, the Trackathon, the Industry Commons Foundation, and a whole lot more. But at the heart of MTF is always the MTF community. In fact, something we've always said about Music Tech Fest is that it's not so much a festival with a community it's more a community with a festival. And someone who's not only been an important part of that community, but has also taken that idea of community in music tech and run with it at both a grand and a national scale is Matthias Strobel, founder and president of Music Tech Germany, which represents the common interests of hardware, software and service providers in the field of music technology from Germany, both at home and abroad. Now, Matthias's story takes us from German boys' choirs to refugee camps, through the extreme highs and catastrophic lows of the world of music tech startups, and into a bright future of open source technologies, enhanced reality, and music making tools for people with Parkinson's disease, for instance. I caught up with Matthias over coffee in Berlin not so long ago. In fact, listening back, maybe we'd both had a little more coffee than was absolutely necessary, so do try to keep up. Sitting at a table in the courtyard of the cafe at the Michelberger Hotel, this is Matthias Strobel. Matthias Strobel, thank you so much for joining us for the MTF podcast. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, let's, let's start with what you're doing at the moment, the uh, German Music Tech Network. Um, How did that come about? What's it for? So Music Tech Germany started in July 2017, during the time when I was working for Music Tech Fest and... I, w I went to Music Tech Fest already with Nagel in 2013 and in 2015, and um, then I joined Music Tech Fest in Berlin in 2016, was it right? Yeah. So, um, and I, I knew a lot of people in Music Tech worldwide, but I haven't had a community myself, and working with Music Tech Fest and seeing all these people being super engaged and um, learning from each other and having this, this ecosystem mindset is something that, um, that really showed me that there's more to it. And um, that's something that I always thought um, Music Tech Fest has such a big community from, of all these people. The thing is that it's not only Music Tech people, it's a community of innovators that come from all different spaces, which makes it hard to unite them all the time. But I think the Music Tech Fest community, um, they are like, they're such big lovers of Music Tech Fest and um, they have such a strong relationship to Music Tech Fest. And a lot of people I've spoken to told me that Music Tech Fest changed their life, actually. Uh, so I think if Music Tech Fest would have the bandwidth and the people to cater more about the community, that would be super awesome because um, it's it's one thing to do an event every year, and I know it's hard to like keep the to keep the thing going over the year, but um, it would be great to have a, a kind of like an, a system or a network or a structure where the Music Tech Fest community could connect with each other more often than just once in a year, and that's something that. Um, kind of like brought me to launch Music Tech Germany because I thought, okay, I can't do it on a scale like Music Tech Fest, but I can at least do it in Germany. So um, that's one thing that I also tried with Music Tech Germany, to build a community of music tech innovators in Germany and give them an opportunity to connect with each other on a regular basis. Right, right, because your focus was always on the sort of the networking aspect of it. And I know there was something really interesting you said, and I wonder if you can remember that you said it even, uh, at MTF in Stockholm, which was the experience that you had of being somebody who was at Music Tech Fest but not organized organizing Music Tech Fest and, and how that was different for you? <laughs> I mean, Music Tech Fest in Berlin was uh, a hell of a job and um, it was a hell of work. 
And with um, all the other music tech fest labs where we went to, there was always something I had to do. And at music and at TF Stockholm, I f that's the first time that I actually had time to um, to to mingle with all the old friends, to meet all these people, to to see their inventions, to talk with them, to get more insight. Because I also meet these people only at a music tech fest, and um, so for me it was really something that um, I enjoyed so much. So being at music tech fest without having a job there was the best experience I had ever at music tech fest. Obviously, because you have the time to um, experience all the stuff that happens there, and I could exchange with the people who work there, who bring their stuff there, and I could learn more about the technology and their approaches to different things. So for me, that was the, the most valuable thing was to, to be able to talk to people and have a good time. And they're great people. Yeah, and they're all awesome people. I never That's actually another thing. I never met any asshole at a music tech fest. There might be some introverted people that have a hard time talking to you, but um, they're just geniuses and live out of the spectrum. But um, what they're doing is amazing. But they're also lovely and super great people. And um, also you have also these outgoing people, but... Every single one that's there has something that makes them unique and um, makes them uh, a talent in their space. So, um, yeah, that's, I don't know how this always happens, but um, kind of music tech fest only attracts people that, um, that are cool. So, and before that, I founded a startup called Nagol Sounds in 2011. And um, while I was running the startup with um, my co-founders, um, we traveled the world and we met a lot of other music tech startups. And um, what I discovered is that there's a lot of music tech people out there that have heard from each other, but um, don't know each other. It was kind of a shame that so many people are working on the same solutions and um, don't um, learn from the failures of the others or um, uh, see the, the synergies that they would have with each other. And um, so in order to make collaborations easier, um, I wanted to actually start a music tech association in Berlin. But um, Berlin is kind of like, um, so the Senate of Berlin was not really open to what I wanted to do because they said they didn't see the purpose for it, which is a general problem, not only in Germany, I guess, that um, technology and digitization is always looked at um, from the wrong side when you talk about creative industries and creative and creativity. But I got a contact to someone from the, um, to the, from the Ministry of Economics and um, I went to them and told them, hey, I want to set up this music tech association because the creative industries and the digital economy, they can't be looked at um, separately in the, in the future or not, not at all because um, the digital space already happens in the creative industry. So I told them that I'm planning to do this uh, association and if I get their support for that. So, um, and they were super open for it and they said, yeah, that's definitely something that we need. So I decided to start uh, Music Tech Germany, which is a federal association for music technology in Germany, which is the first one worldwide, which doesn't make it easy to, um, to set it up and to get the word out. But um, all the other music tech networks that I'm connected with in, in Europe and all around the world, they were super happy about doing that and uh, said, hey, we need to do this in our country as well in order to have like um, different dots that we can connect with each other worldwide. So what we're doing right now is we have like this association where we um, it's built on four pillars. The first pillar is like that we connect all the music tech innovators and music tech organizations in Germany with each other. It's not only um, startups and companies, it's also research institutions, artists and individual people who work in the space of music tech. The second pillar is that we are uh, the point of contact for the traditional music industry which um, comes to us uh, and asks about future trends and um, technology that they can apply to their artists or use for like, um, yeah, getting the artists um, to grow. And the third one is that we're lobbying with the, with the German government 
because uh, what I discovered when I run Nagual Sounds is that um, we applied for art funding and it was mostly too technical. And when we applied for tech funding, it was too arty. So we were always in this gap. And in order to change that, we talk a lot to politicians and tell them to set up new public funding structures in order to help music technology to evolve and help startups to um, to build their product and, and uh, yeah get it done. Because like for VCs and investors, it's always a risky business to invest in early stage startups. And public funding is really badly needed in order to um, help these people to survive. And the fourth one is that we open up, um, like we open the doors for other music tech markets in Europe and all around the world since we're connected to all these other music tech networks and help the people from Germany who work in music tech to um, find collaborators okay. worldwide. Well, th there's a whole lot to unpack in there. So, so if we just start with one of the things you said right up front, which was that uh, people in the government were looking at music tech from the wrong side. What do you, what do you mean by... Uh, looking at this from the wrong side for them like creativity is for them something that comes from the inside of an artist and technology is something that uh, takes creativity away from from artistry so um, for them it's always has always been seen as something bad that destroys um, creativity but um, when you talk to artists that work with technology which every artist does um, they will always tell you no technology is something that we need and technology is something that helps us to like helps our music to evolve and to to to, to grow so and and to make them understand that um, technology is not something bad was the biggest pain point at the beginning well wow. because a violin is a piece of technology a microphone is one a guitar is one so everything yeah, yeah. is a is a technology yeah yeah for sure where did this start for you let's sort of go back how did you get into first music and second technology <laughs> what was your what was your sort of origin story so my first point of contact with music was when i was five my mother made me uh, to learn piano and um, I didn't want to do that back in the days because as a five-year-old child, you want to do other things. Um, but she thought that's something that takes me off the streets and um, it's good to have like a music education. It kind of like um, learns me how to be disciplined and all that stuff. It didn't quite work out. But um, after, like when I was seven, she sent me to a boys choir called Regensburg Domspatzen, which is like, um, at back in that days, it was like one of the most famous boys choirs in the world. And um, it was led by... The Catholic Church, and um, it was all fucked up. And um, so, but I, I learned a lot about discipline and all that stuff there. And um, I had like a lot of music theory and um, all these classes that other people would only do when they study. But I ha had it already back in the days. And um, so, when I was in seventh grade, I dropped out of um, of this boys choir and um, went back home. From that day on, I never touched the piano and I never sung, because um, this whole experience that I had there destroyed all that. But my love for music always kept there. I kept be there. So, um, so I continued listening to music, started DJing, a lot of digging. I have a lot of friends who do music. I exchange a lot of music with people. And um, I started a, something totally different, an apprenticeship as a German TV station. And then I studied business communication. And I wrote my bachelor thesis about um, the opportunities for independent artists in the digital age on the example of drum and bass. Mm -hmm. And um, this was the first kind of like... Um, point where I got into like this whole technology space where I discovered okay there's so much potential through technology for artists to be more creative to have an economic income and um, to um, to grow and to get the word out so technology is not something bad and um, yeah and then I went to India for half a year came back wanted to do something totally different and on a on a coincidence my my girlfriend came and said hey I have these friends who are all artists who are like a classical composer and a music techno music producer and they created this this kind of thing where you have a Kinect camera and you can create music through your dance moves and they 
think it would be great if you could open up to other people as well, So, um, but they don't have any business experience, if I could help them. So, and this is how Nagwell Sound started, and yeah. Tell me about Nagwell Sounds. What, what, was the, what was the journey? Obviously, there was some major success. It had awards for, you know, best startup at Medem and, you know, all these sorts of things. What was the, what was the trajectory? Because I'm not even sure where Nagwell is today. Uh, it's so, bankrupt. Right. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably why it's been quiet. Um, so, so, talk me through the journey. Um, so, in 2011, I joined these guys and... Um, uh, when I first entered the room where the Kinect camera was set up, there was like a dancer and she danced and the music was created, but I couldn't make sense of how the music was created and what was done, but I was so amazed that it was actually possible to just create music out of, of, of out of the air. So I was like, okay, fuck, this is such an amazing uh, out-of-this-world shit. I definitely want to be part of that. Uh, so I started writing business plans with them. We started to um, develop a kind of a product strategy and um, we weren't sure where we're going with that, but we thought, okay, when we're doing something with the Kinect, then um, we do something that um, takes place on the Xbox because the Kinect was connected to the Xbox back in the days. But the whole underlying technology was that we, and we have a patent on that, or we had a patent on that, is that um, we could translate any kind of data stream into tonal musical structures in real time. So the data that was generated by the Kinect camera could be translated into musical structures through our technology. So what happened was that um, we could assign different instruments to your arms and legs and you could play the instruments through your movements. So it was all about speed and position of your limbs. So the upper notes would be um, when you are up with your hands and the lower notes would be when you're down with your hands and you move them. And um, so we started to apply for... Um, for the Kinect to develop for the for the Xbox and we finally managed that and um, at that point we were super happy about it until we discovered that um, with the development for for Xbox comes a certain comes certain regulations and one regulation was that um, you have to have a competition in a battle mode which means you have to collect points which then eventually ends up in being like a, a second uh, Just Dance or Dan Central game where you just have to f follow choreographies and um, not be creative at all and that was totally not in our mindset right so but on a coincidence we met a guy who um, who worked at a hospital and he said hey I'm working with stroke patients and I want to do evaluation with your stuff and um, because to give stroke patients in their rehab time an auditive feedback on the exercises might increase their motivation to do the, the exercises so we started doing this with him but then he um, got kicked out of the hospital so we kind of like um, missed that chance and in the meantime um, because my job is um, business communications I applied for a lot of pitches. Um, I did a um, quite okay job when it comes to marketing. So we were in all these TV shows and um, we got like invited to lots of different conferences and we won all the pitches and awards and all that stuff. But all this fame kept like um, the development from being, um, being done and a, a product being finished. And um, we, we kind of managed to get funding from an investor, but we burned all the money during this like journey on going to festivals and all that stuff. And so at the end, we were there without any money and with a lot of fame and with no product. But I decided to work for another two years on social welfare just to get this thing off the ground. But in 2015, I discovered that um, it just doesn't work out. Um, when you start a startup with like um, other co-founders, that everybody has his own vision on a thing and there's like certain people missing in the team, then um, it's hard to get the thing done. And it's sad because the technology that we developed um, could be used today in all different kind of spaces. It's kind of like procedural audio, so in games and all that stuff, it would make total sense. So my idea was to license it and um, give it to people who actually know how to build products. 
but yeah, we never did that. And um, so I ended up um, leaving the company in 2015, doing something totally different. And um, my co-founders, like the two that were left, found a guy, uh, they kind of pivoted and decided, okay, if we can take any kind of data stream, we use the gyro sensor and accelerator sensor in the smartphone and use that in order to create music with it. So we ended up creating an app for the German Parkinson Association and um, that app is still out there to help um, Parkinson patients who have a tremor um, to concentrate on making music with their hands and apparently the tremor got less when they're doing that. But this evaluation also was never finished because um, as I said a couple of weeks ago we had to file bankruptcy because there was no money left and um, everybody was exhausted or the two people who were left were totally exhausted and decided to rather shut down the company. Right, right. So what would you say is the Nago lesson? Oh, the Nago lesson is to choose your right team and um, everybody should stick to the skills that they have and be open to opinions of other people and um, do only the, the stuff that you are capable of doing and don't do stuff that uh, you're not capable of doing. And the second one is that don't stick to a product strategy at the beginning without talking to the people who are building the product too. First talk to the people and ask them if they actually want that and if they want that, how do you have to create it. That's basically the, the biggest lesson that I had. Sounds like you're taking some hard lessons to the startups that you're working with with the Music Tech Network. Yeah, that's what we're trying. We're trying. Like I'm trying to talk to all these people and explain them. Hey, there's like, I mean, you can have a vision and you can have a, like a, a dream of um, out of your own passion, and it's super important to have that. But you always need to like talk to the people who are building stuff too, and um, also like um, stay open-minded to other potential um, use cases that you would have not thought of, and always um, like. Be, be aware of um, what makes sense and what doesn't make sense and don't run down every ra rabbit hole that comes along. You really need to like consider if it makes sense to you in the, in the, at a the certain point of development that you are right now or if you're not. So um, yeah, it's always like this listen to people and collaborate with people who have more experience than you. Right. It sounds like something I hear a lot in um, uh, music tech startups. One is, I've got this great idea for how people can make music. No idea whether people will want to buy it or not, but, but this is the great idea and I'm going to make it because it's a, and, and, and the sort of the sustainability angle of that. But also there's this plus we think it can help people. And here is this kind of, you know, medical application for it and, and so on. There seems to be this real drive in so many music tech companies first of all of like this is a great new way to make music and second of all and here's how it can help people but the the kind of the starting a business side of it seems to be like the the, the problem point there is it ever a good idea to start a music tech company <laughs> it depends i mean if you like there's there's these two kind of people there's two people like there's one kind of people that are trying to solve a problem that's out there and they think they have the solution for that and then there's the people who build something out of a passion and what People told us when we were at Medium Lab, one of the jury guys told us that we have built a solution and we're looking for the problem. And, and this is something that happens often for people who build something out of passion. And I think if you have the bandwidth and the financial background and the time and um, the, the mindset to survive for a long time, then it makes total sense to build something out of a passion because you do what you like. Um, if you don't have that, I would rather not do it. And if you build a solution for something, then that's what I said before, is like um, talk to the people who are building the solution too and build it with them together, which is a big problem because um, if you build something for the music industry, then you have to talk with the music industry about the solution that you're building. And the music industry usually only listens once you are successful. If you build something for artists, you can start with an artist from the beginning on because artists are always curious about new stuff. They love to build stuff and they're not capable of building it themselves. So um, 
Building for the music industry is something I would never uh, recommend to anyone. Building for artists and creativity, absolutely. Right, yeah, I've, I've heard before people say, uh, if you want to make a small fortune in the music industry, start with a large one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's actually correct, yeah. <laughs> right, um, but then the, the sort of the helping people thing kind of took over because you went very, very heavily into working with refugees. Do you tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, that was when I, in 2015 when I had the break from, from Nagwal. I decided to do something totally different. And we had this uh, refugee situation in Berlin that was totally messed up because of everybody knows that, that um, the German government kind of like uh, uh, opened up the doors without having a plan. And so the, the kind of like the society had to take care of stuff. And um, so I decided, since I used to live in an area that um, wasn't actually... There were, there were not a lot of refugees back in the days, but we wanted to build a help re refugee initiative to um, to collect stuff and to go to camps and help these people. But um, it ended up to, the, our area ended up to open uh, to have also two camps to be opened up, but they didn't have anyone to lead it. And um, since I was like leading this as, uh, this um, this refugee help uh, association, um, they asked me if I want to lead this camp, and I said I actually don't know if I want to do that because it's such a big responsibility to take care of 160 people and from all different backgrounds, different religions, different uh, so everything totally totally weird. But then in the end, they couldn't find anyone, and we, the decision had to be made in like in four days. So I agreed to do it for half a year, and I did it for half a year, and um, it was probably the biggest management challenge in my whole life. I learned so much about myself, and I learned also so much about treatment of other people um, because it was such a like um, weird experience because I mean with having no 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 experience working with people and having uh, knowledge about laws and stuff that you can could um, could place into action and stuff like that so I had to deal with everything off the ground and with like 160 people coming into a sports hall with nothing on their without any all they had is like a plastic bag with stuff and um, they now had to find their place in our democratic system. And um, we had a lot of families coming in. So the biggest mistake that I did at the beginning was that um, I left them alone for the first two weeks. And because I thought they all have families and they came all the way from Syria and Iraq and everywhere to our sports hall. So they have survived to such a long way. So they know how to survive. So I just left them the way they are until a guy came. And it was a big mess. There was like fights everywhere going on. Shiites, Sunnis, this, that. So I have no idea about all the, the religious fights in between. And um, But one of the smart guys, an IT professor from Syria, from Damascus, came to me and said, look, like we are from uh, like eight different countries, but what we all have in common is that we never had anything else than dictatorship. So you're trying to teach us democracy without actually teaching it us, and you're just like um, expecting us to be able to live democracy. We need rules, we need punishment, we are, we, we are used to that. So in my mindset, I, need to, I needed to change my mindset and to set up rules to punish people, to send people out to like, um, be an asshole, um, which I usually don't, but that was the only way it worked and people accepted that. But and over the time, I could implement like more and more democratic features. So at the end, everybody was happy, I guess, and everybody understood how we live in Germany. So there was quite an experience and there was lots of other things. So everything that you can imagine that happens in a country, on a society, happened on a small scale there. Everything from everything. <laughs> Has the kind of the the overall situation on that front improved? Yeah, we definitely have like now people in. I mean, there's still people. There's nobody living in camps anymore. People are kind of like living in in housing situations with the German people. They're kind of like all integrated. Um, the ones that um, like the sad story also was that when I was running the camp, there was really like well-educated people that had to live in a sports hall like animals and. Um, 
quite a few of them they rather flew back to Iraq and lived in like in in a war zone than being treated like an animal. So that was the sad story. And um, the people who really couldn't go back and um, didn't have a future there, they stayed here. And most of them put a lot of effort in like being integrated, learned the language, and a lot of them have jobs now. So it it all got really well. And the whole crime rate thing and everything that everybody is, was talking about never happened because the last thing that they that these people wanted is like to be kicked out again. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. did. You take anything from your music tech world into that space? Um, not really. I mean, the, phew, I, that's, that's a t- tough question. The, the, uh, the whole, like the one thing that I really like in the music tech world, and that's also something that I'm, that differentiates the music tech world from the music industry world, is that the music industry has learned to live in ecosystems and the music tech world lives in ecosystems. And um, so this whole mindset of like working together and um, doing stuff together is something that I took into this work. Maybe that's something um, like I talk to people and say, look, you can do that and you can do that. If you help each other, everybody could benefit from it. So this is probably the one thing that I could bring into that space as well. Other way around, what have you taken from the refugees situation into now uh, music tech? <laughs> um, I learned that you can, from from... Having nothing, you can build something that's quite, there's this Chugat thing in India, but um, there's also like um, these people that came with nothing, they suddenly managed to have like everything, not everything, but um, they. You, there's always a solution to a problem if you have one. And um, it doesn't matter how big the problem is, if you look for the solution, you can actually solve that. And it doesn't matter, when I talk to music tech startups, I always tell them, look, even if you're like totally bootstrapped now and you think about giving up, um, if you can't stand it anymore and it's, um, it's bad for your mental health, then you rather give up. That's really dangerous. But um, if you're not that far down, down, down the road, then just like try to like make a list of things that are bad and that are good and see which are the good things and how you can combine them to make something good out of that. So, and this is something that I learned from the camp. There were so many people that had actually absolutely nothing and they kind of like um, survived or their mental health survived only because they focused on, okay, it's going to get better because I have that and I could do that. And so the, the kind of like the hope and the vision that they, that they kept is something that I try to put into the minds of people I'm talking to. That word Jigard comes up a lot in uh, the context of Music Tech Fest, and I know that's something that uh, you've sort of experienced because you worked with Music Tech Fest in 2016 into 2017, um, and it's something that you know I sort of brought in from from my work in India as well. Do you want to tell a little bit about what Jigard is and, and then kind of how it applies in the Music Tech Fest context? Uh, Jigard is basically um, taking what is there and um, building uh, like. In, in India, it's mostly fixing stuff out of like um, the stuff that's there. Not buying any new stuff, but um, build, uh, fixing things that are broken. But um, in the terms of, of music tech or what, what kind of like is basically the, 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 f- the fundament of, of, of a hackathon at Music Tech Fest where you have all these different elements and um, there's no really rule what you do with it, but um, you have them. So you build something and innovate something out of that. And Jugaad is basically that. It's basically taking what's there and um, innovate out of the, the stuff that, um, that exists. Right. Yeah. The, the way we've always kind of uh, thought about it is you may not have all the resources that you need, but you're just going to make it work whatever it takes. Yeah, correct. That's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so what's next? So the Music Tech Germany Association is something that we want to uh, want to make grow and want to make bigger. And um, the next thing that, like, I also started a company called Wicked Work, where um, we do um, kind of like consultancy and curation for creative technologies that goes beyond music technology, because we say that music. 
And so the whole creative industries are like the whole lines are blurring. So you have like film and video and games and music and everything blurs with each other. And but all the the, the organizations and companies um, they work in their own bubble. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to um, with Wicked Work we're trying to connect the different points in the creative industries with each other and also with like the innovators from the digital economy to make them collaborate with each other and build um, products and services that um, have a, a common fundament but can work in different industries. This is what we do with Wicked Work, and I am working on um, an online database for music technology, which is called the Music Tech Directory. It's a mis mixture of like Crunchbase, uh, Resident Advisor, and Angel List, if you want to put it that way. So it's kind of like an online database of everything that um, is around the world with music technology. So music tech associations, um, organizations, companies, research institutions. So everyone who works in music tech can sign up, can have a profile there, and can be found by other people because we think that music tech is a global thing. There's no national borders for music tech innovation. And if you're somewhere in the jungle in Brazil and you're looking for something that might be in France, you probably will never meet this person and you don't have any access to a network that could like put you in touch with this person. So we're building now this, um, this global database of music tech, um, hopefully soon. Do you think the collaboration thing is ever really going to take off with uh, music tech? Because I know people are really, really super keen on their NDAs. They're really keen on uh, patents, copyright, essentially to keep other people away, keep people from their ideas. Do you think that the, sort of the advantage of collaboration is starting to take hold? I mean, you can see it with like all the big companies and the big corporates that uh, now open up their, their their business models and their backends in order to make it open source. And um, in music tech is something that um, is essential because uh, you can't build a product or a service just by yourself. You will never have the whole knowledge and expertise in one field. And um, you need to find collaborators that bring in the expertise um, in order to get something done. And with technology being like um, evolving so fast, um, there will be always new skills that you need. That you need, and um, if you don't have them, you need to get them from somewhere else. So this is why the only the only path to success is going to be a, a collaborative model in the future. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And with, um, there's people out there that um, now build open source communities around music tech, and um, so they're trying to help people to innovate with the stuff that they are doing, and also open up new communities for people that haven't been in that space but are interested in helping with the stuff they're doing. And with the music tech meetup that I'm doing in Berlin all the time. I, um, I discovered it all the time because people from marketing agencies, music industry, developers, there can, they can be a, a person that is like a manager of a big corporate sitting on a table with someone who has no, ha hasn't even finished school, but at the same time they can talk with each other because music technology is something that um, they're both interested in and that's what they're working on. So what are the technologies that you're kind of excited about or seeing a real interest in, like uh, AI, 5G, blockchain, where is it happening, where is it kicking off? I think all of these technologies have a, a right to exist and all of them is going to have an impact. Um, I'm most excited about um, augmented reality. I strongly believe that um, the next revolution after the smartphone revolution that we had in the 90s is going to be an AR revolution. Um, it's going to be totally normal in 10 to 15 years for us to live in a world with an extended reality. And um, to see all these different um, product services and approaches to um, make this world happen, uh, that's the thing that excites me the most. And there's, of course, other um, technologies that are super interesting, like AIs can have a big impact on all sorts of um, spaces in, in society, but also music and technology. Blockchain, hopefully, um, going to have a solution to, to lead the way to a more transparent and trustworthy music ecosystem which strongly relies on the openness of the music industry, which um, is probably going to take a while, but there will also things happening that we don't know yet. 
and um, so and I, I don't believe really in VR. Um, I think it has a use case in industry, uh, industry 4.0 or in other industries. But for music, um, the only use case that I see for VR is for people who are disabled or uh, can't attend a concert to have this concert experience. But in any other space, I don't see VR um, taking off in music. Okay, and uh, the the sort of the the ones to watch in the German music tech ecosystem, who who's really particularly interested interesting for you at the moment? That's hard to pick one of our members, but there there's several ones. I mean, there there are ones that are already super successful. Um, Soundplanner with their haptic metronome. I'm a big fan of Mod Devices, which I'm like doing an open source approach with like a, a totally new idea of like building guitar pedals and also with the Mutu X for like um, electronic music producers. And what I what I think what has a big future is like what um, Johannes von Data Machines did and what he's doing now. He's building this open source music tech community on the basis of data machines. And with the background that he has and the knowledge and the success that he had with data machines and with the people that are surrounded, he surrounds himself, um, I think that could be something that could have a great impact on music technology in general. Like um, not only in Germany, but worldwide, because he's just going to open up a toolbox for people to access. It sounds like the the real action is in things for people to make music with, rather than distribution or promotion or you know streaming services or or you know uh, even experiential things like AR. Um, most of what you've mentioned have been about tools for musicians, really. Correct, because as I said, doing stuff for the music industry is useless as long as uh, the music industry is so uh, reluctant to innovation. And um, one startup that I'm a big fan of is Marble AR. So um, Tom, who, like, this is actually a story that needs to be told more often because he won the hackathon itself by two years ago. And what what really bothers me with hackathons um, is that at the end of a hackathon, all these great teams are disappearing. The, the thing that they developed lands in the trash can and um, everybody forgets about that. But what he did, he sticked to his partner and he kept developing the product that he's working on. And what he's doing with Marble AR is he builds a technology where musicians and um, artists can use the tools that they're using anyway in order to um, to create um, augmented reality worlds. So in the future, if you enter a venue, the whole venue is going to turn into an AR world that you as a musician can manipulate with like the synthesizers, the controllers, all the stuff that you're working on. So it basically makes graphics and objects in the AR world accessible for artists. These days, when you have like these tours of U2, it costs millions of dollars, hire an agency to, to set this thing up. He kind of like puts that down to a level where every DJ and every artist out there is capable of building their own AR world. It might be a bit forward thinking, but I'm pretty sure that this is going to kick off. Fantastic. Matthias, thanks so much for your time. Thanks a lot. Matthias Strobel, president and founder of Music Tech Germany. And that's the MTF podcast. We're going to be catching up with Matthias and the German music tech community when we curate and present an innovation stage at Music Messe Frankfurt in April next year. You're going to be hearing a lot more about that event in the coming months. Music Messe is the largest music trade show in Europe and MTF is going to bring and showcase the cutting edge innovation. And in the meantime, don't forget to hit the subscribe button, share, like, rate, review, and we'll talk soon. Have a great week. Cheers. 